Welcome back, guys. It's a new week and a new episode. Or is it? That's correct. This week, we are re-releasing the most popular episodes on the Red Light Report. And that is Mitochondria Part 1, Mitochondria Part 2. The reason we're doing this is because we're getting close to the one-year anniversary of the Red Light Report, which blows my mind. Of course, this just started off as a way for me to further educate anyone interested, expose red light therapy to the masses. And so when I initially released this two-part solo sode, Mitochondria Part 1, Part 2, it was a very, very small audience. And so um, since then, it has grown exponentially month over month, which is amazing because it shows me that people are interested in red light therapy. People are more proactive about investing in or looking into alternative or holistic modalities for their health. I think it's just a testament to that. And so, as always, I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and listening to this podcast. I truly appreciate it. With all of that being said, again, I want to re-release these foundational episodes, kind of to keep up with the theme of 2022, where we went over the impact of the energetic portion of our eye with Dr. Fritz Hallwich. And then last week's episode, which was basically on the importance and the health ramifications of getting exposed to UV light, that information was thanks to Dr. Jacob Lieberman. And so just to continue on with that motif of the foundational information as it relates to light and health and wellness and longevity, I wanted to re-release these two quintessential episodes So we're going to have part one, which is going to be right after I stop talking in your ear here with the introduction, and then we'll follow that up in the same episode here with the second part. I'm just going to quickly review what this this first part is going to be. We're going to go over and learn from who I would consider three of my top mentors, not necessarily people I've met in person, but mentors that have taught me through their presentations or through their books or through their podcasts or or otherwise or through their books. And so the first one is a name that you're going to be familiar with if you've been listening to this podcast, and that is Dr. Doug Wallace. And he's considered the top mitochondrial researcher in the world. He's been researching the mitochondria for upwards of four decades. And there's no doubt that at some point in time, he's going to win a Nobel Prize for all of his work as it relates to the mitochondria. And then we'll follow that up by learning from another one of my favorite mentors, Dr. Jack Cruz, who was really the first person to open my eyes to the massive implications of light and our light environment. His motif has always been when he, when he's teaching and promoting health and wellness, it's always been light, water, and magnetism. And light is his top health hack if he had to choose one. But light, just getting exposure to full spectrum sunlight, of course, that also includes red light therapy, light, and then water, whether that's hydrogen rich water, electron rich water, easy water, vortexed water, or structured water, and so on and so forth. And then magnetism, just being connected with earth, grounding getting those free electrons from earth. And really, all three of his pillars, light, water, and magnetism, are just different ways to accrue electrons. Dr. Jack Cruz is a self-proclaimed mitochondriac. So everything he does is in some way related to optimizing his mitochondrial health. 
And again, light is his top hack for that. So we'll learn a little bit from Dr. Jack Cruz. And then lastly, in this part one, we'll learn a little bit from Dr. Gerald Pollack, who is a researcher out of the University of Washington. And he is known for, I don't know if you'd call it inventing, but bringing easy water or fourth phase water to the forefront. I guess he discovered it, if you will. Fourth phase water or EZ water, which is short for exclusion zone water, EZ, it's actually a byproduct of energy production from the mitochondria. So not only does the mitochondria produce ATP, which is our token of energy, but it also produces water. And it's this easy water, which is not liquid, it's not a solid, it's in between, it's kind of gelatinous. And it's more or less our biological water that's produced, again, thanks to energy production from the mitochondria. The mitochondria is surrounded in this biological easy water that it produces on its own. And as another byproduct of energy production, the mitochondria releases infrared heat. Again, if you've learned or listened to my other podcasts or interviews that I've been on for other podcasts, I always talk about this because we always think of water when it's frozen, it expands. But when it's heated, it does the opposite. It shrinks. And so when the mitochondria produces energy, it releases infrared light, which is heat. And thus it shrinks the water that's surrounding it and that helps condense or bring the electron transport chain closer together, which makes electron tunneling more efficient, which means energy production is more efficient. As we learned from Dr. Doug Wallace, energy is life. The more energy your cells have, the longer you'll live. The less energy you have, the quicker you'll age, the quicker you'll die. So it all comes back to energy production. And so that's why, again, I'm so excited to release these episodes back to back is so that we can learn and kind of take a step back in a way because it's easy to get caught up in all the excitement of what red light therapy can do, but let's understand why and its implications and how profound it really is because this is truly where the rubber meets the road. So even if you've been listening to my podcast since the very beginning, it would behoove you and I highly suggest and recommend that you re-listen to these episodes because of the information in there. It's this type of information that you could listen to over and over again because it's that important and that profound. Because again, when we're talking about red light therapy, which is the entire point of this podcast, it comes back to the mitochondria. And so if you understand why the mitochondria are so important, then you can truly appreciate why red light therapy is so amazing and how it can treat so many different conditions. And so again, in this part one, we're going to learn from uh, Dr. Doug Wallace, Dr. Jack Cruz, and then Dr. Gerald Pollack. And then right after this episode finishes, there'll be another quick introduction from me that will then be a segue into part two of the mitochondria. So enjoy this part one about the mitochondria. Sit back, relax, enjoy, learn lots, and as always, light up your health. Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Hey there, guys. Welcome to the newest episode of the Red Light Report. Today, we are going to learn about the mitochondria. 
And this is a very important episode because if you really want to know how the rubber meets the proverbial road when it comes to red light therapy, it all comes down to the mitochondria and how the mitochondria have such a vital role in the health and wellness and longevity benefits that can be derived from red light therapy. So it will get a little deep in the trenches as far as getting scientific. It may get a little dry for those who aren't interested. And really, if you're not that interested in how red light therapy works, you're just happy that it works and you just want to know how to best use red light therapy, maybe this isn't the episode for you. But if you are into the science and you like to know how things work and the physiology behind our biology and red light therapy, you're going to love this episode. And there are going to be some ideas that are new and it may get a little confusing. So I highly recommend that if that is the case, then you just re-listen to that section of the podcast or just re-listen to the episode a couple of times if you need to, because it is really important for you to understand the power and the role that the mitochondria have as it relates to red light therapy. Because then when we do subsequent podcasts and we're learning about hair health and skin health and oral health and athletic performance and so on, you'll have a better understanding and you'll have a better foundation of understanding how red light therapy could possibly help with all those types of health and wellness benefits. And so in this episode, and we'll do two parts to mitochondria. So this is part one. And in part one, we're going to learn from three of the most important names, I would argue, as it relates to the mitochondria. And that is Dr. Doug Wallace, Dr. Jack Cruz, and Dr. Gerald Pollack. Dr. Doug Wallace is considered the top mitochondrial researcher in the world. He's been doing it for over four decades. And so if you want to learn about the mitochondria, look no further than Dr. Doug Wallace. He is a researcher out of the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So we'll get to him first. Then we'll move on to Dr. Jack Cruz, who is a uh, self-acclaimed mitochondriac. So everything that he teaches, and he is a neurosurgeon, and he used to be a dentist, Everything he teaches as it relates to health, wellness, and longevity is related to the mitochondria. So his motif and his underlying principles are that you need to optimize your light, your water, and your magnetism. So we'll get to him. And then lastly, we'll wrap up with a shorter section, but very important as well with Dr. Gerald Pollack. And he is a researcher out of the University of Washington. And he specializes in water and the research behind water. He's the one that not invented, but discovered, I suppose, EZ water, exclusion zone water, which is also called the fourth phase of water. And that's the title of his book on water, the fourth phase of water. So if you're really wanting to dig into the science of H2O, I would highly recommend that book. The way he writes it is very easy to understand even for the lay person. So that's one to look into if you're wondering, you know, the science behind water. And we'll we'll understand why water is so important to the mitochondria when we get to that part of the podcast. So let's start with Dr. Doug Wallace. He would argue, nay, he purports and advocates that aging is simply mitochondrial dysfunction. So said another way, the healthier you can keep your mitochondria, the slower you will age. And based on his research over 40 years, he would tell you that about 80% of today's modern 
diseases are tied to mitochondrial dysfunction. 80%. So right off the bat, he is telling us, based on his research, that our DNA, our nuclear DNA, which is the paradigm we grew up where we believe that uh, we're born with the genes we have and we can't change them. But he's saying that's actually only 20% of all diseases are from our nuclear DNA. He's saying our mitochondrial DNA actually makes up 80%, which is fantastic and it should be liberating because that means our health, our wellness, our aging process is really in our hands. And it comes down to the environment we constantly put ourselves in and our daily habits as it relates to health. Also, through his research, Dr. Doug Wallace was the individual and researcher that found out and determined that all of our mitochondria come from our mom. So it's maternally inherited. So if you really want to look at a good overview of what your longevity and aging is going to look like, look at your mom and look at her mom, and if possible, your great-grandma. That'll tell you what your mitochondrial health and vitality is. If your mom lives a long time, if her mom lives a long time, chances are your mitochondria are set up for that path as well. Of course, you can alter that for better or worse through your daily habits and the environment you put yourselves in. But of course, starting off on the right foot does not hurt the case. There's thousands of mitochondria in every single cell in our body, except for red blood cells. With that being said, we need to understand what we can do to optimize our mitochondria because they're all over our body and actually they make up a lot of our weight even. And so there's this concept called heteroplasmy. Heteroplasmy. And in a nutshell, good and healthy mitochondria have low heteroplasmy. And having low heteroplasmy means they can make a lot of energy. Whereas on the flip side, if we have quote unquote bad mitochondria, or dysfunctional mitochondria, those are going to have a high heteroplasmy or a high heteroplasmy rate. And this means that they are deficient at producing energy. So if we look at people and what this looks like in the real world, normal people have about 0% heteroplasmy rate. Diabetics make less energy. So their heteroplasmy rate is about 20 to 30%. Same with autism. Those individuals, their mitochondria make less energy. And then if we look even further down the line, about 50 to 90% heteroplasmy rate is where we get into neurodegeneration, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, and such. And then at the very end of the spectrum, where it becomes extremely lethal, if you have 100% heteroplasmy rate, that's where we see things like Lee syndrome, which is a very advanced neurodegeneration and even perinatal lethality. So if you have 100% heteroplasmy rate, you're not going to live much longer than a year or so. And that all comes down to the mitochondria. And why is this? Well, the mitochondria are in a constant state of growth and repair and degradation, just like a cell. If this is happening millions and millions of times per day, you're going to have some sort of poorly copied mitochondria that are going to have mutations. But again, if you're low on energy, your body's not going to be as well equipped to get rid of the bad or dysfunctional mitochondria. So they're going to linger, they're going to stay around, and they're going to be contributing to the dysfunctional mitochondria. So if you have poorly copied mitochondria, and if we look at it from the standpoint of cells make up tissues, tissues make up organs, and organs make up systems. So then if we 
reverse engineer that if we have too many dysfunctional mitochondria per cell, then you're going to start having a sick cell. If you have too many sick cells per tissue, you're going to start having unhealthy tissue. If you're lacking too much energy in a tissue, that's where you're going to start seeing issues show up in different organs, muscles, liver, kidney, brain, heart. And if you have too many organs that don't function as they should, that's where you start to see an issue with the entire system. Let's say cardiovascular system, nervous system, immune system. So all of these come back to dysfunctional mitochondria. And that's what Dr. Doug Wallace said. Aging is essentially too many dysfunctional mitochondria. And what that really means is if you have too many dysfunctional mitochondria, then you're in an energy deficit. So if your body doesn't have enough energy, you're going to get sick. You're going to get a disease and or cancers. Again, 80% of modern day, according to Dr. Doug Wallace. So again, it's not the nuclear DNA, but the nuclear DNA is getting messages from your mitochondria. So there are epigenetic nuclear changes, changes that are happening, not because of the genes, but because of your environment and your daily habits. And so there's retrograde signaling, meaning there's signals from the mitochondria being sent back to the nuclear DNA, which is a dynamically changing environment based on the mitochondrial energy and status. So the healthier your mitochondria, the more energy your mitochondria has, it will be sending retrograde signals to the nuclear DNA, which will optimize your nuclear DNA for growth and repair in its own right. But it all comes down to the percent heteroplasmy. Again, if we start getting up into the 20 to 30% heteroplasmy, the mitochondria will send signals back to the nucleus, which could lead to things like diabetes and autism. So really, Dr. Doug Wallace is heavy into bioenergetics, which is essentially tissue-specific diseases that result from systemic energy deficits. Tissue-specific diseases, dysfunctional mitochondria, not producing enough energy, diseases are going to result because there's systemic energy deficits. Dr. Doug Wallace has said in many presentations and in his research that the more energy present in a cell, the less disease state you have, the more energy present, the less disease state you have. So the less energy you have, the more likely you're going to have some sort of disease or cancer or some sort of sickness. It comes down to the energy status. So he is a heavy advocate that we need to stop looking at our nuclear genome for the causes of cancers and diseases. And we need to start looking into the other genome in our body, the mitochondrial genome. This is the foundation of bioenergetic medicine. We've all grown up in this paradigm where it's the nuclear DNA, it's the nuclear DNA, but the story is changing. And Dr. Doug Wallace is saying we need to look at the mitochondrial genome. So we can break down our body's anatomy into different ways that it utilizes energy. So for example, we have energy utilizing tissues. This would be like the brain, heart, muscle, eyes, and kidneys. So all these tissues take up a lot of energy. They require a lot of ATP, that token of energy. They utilize a lot of oxygen. Then there's energy storage, such as white adipose tissue, that's used for activities, and then brown adipose tissue, which we utilize for thermal regulation. 
There's energy homeostasis, which would be the liver. And this takes care of glucose homeostasis. And then we have energy sensing tissues and systems. And these monitor and adapt to seasonal plant carbohydrates. So pancreatic beta cells, abundant of glucose, they release insulin. And the pancreatic alpha cells, when there's a deficiency in glucose, it releases glucagon so we can burn fatty acids as energy. And this is what happens in fasting. You essentially starve your body of glucose. So the body releases glucagon to utilize fatty acids as energy. And that's how you can lose fat from the keto diet as well. Hey there, guys. So I know you're excited to learn about red light therapy, but I'm betting that you're also interested in finding a high quality red light therapy device. Well, look no further than my company, BioLite. But don't take my word for it. Listen to the thousands of customers that have come before you and have chosen BioLite because of its unprecedented combination of high light power, low EMF emission, and low light flicker. So you're not only getting the most effective treatment option, but the safest as well. And there's many sizes to choose from. There's handheld devices, tabletop models, and even full body panels. So there's definitely a size to match your lifestyle and health and wellness goals. As an added bonus, you can claim a $100 value gift at checkout when you use coupon code REDLIGHTPODCAST. Just go to www.biolight.shop, choose whichever device is going to match your health and wellness needs, and use coupon code REDLIGHTPODCAST to claim your $100 gift. Again, that's www.biolight.shop. So Dr. Doug Wallace through his decades and decades of research, has essentially told us we need to look at the mitochondria. We need to optimize our mitochondrial health. It's about the energy status of our body. The more you have, the healthier you're going to be. The less you have, you're on the path to diseases and an unhealthy life, and probably a shorter life. So let's move on to Dr. Jack Cruz. Again, Dr. Jack Cruz is the uh, self-acclaimed mitochondriac. He's a neurosurgeon. And so he's all about light, water, and magnetism. And he explains that when sunlight hits water, it makes a huge capacitor. And every mitochondria is surrounded by water. So there's an inner mitochondrial membrane and an outer mitochondrial membrane with spaces in between. And all of the food that we consume, all of the food electrons, it goes to the inner mitochondrial membrane. So the entire food web is essentially electrons being excited by sunlight. And that's kind of a way to think about food that you're eating. Are you eating food that has been touched by sunlight, that's been excited by sunlight? Is it electron-rich food? Or are you opening something out of a wrapper that is just processed, has not seen the sun? Because if that's the case, you're basically feeding yourself electron-deficient food, which doesn't do much good for your mitochondria to produce energy. Dr. Jack Cruz says that life is the ability of a cell to capture sunlight from the excited to the ground state. Sunlight excites an electron, which is then harvested by the cytochrome enzymes on the mitochondria. And that's another message that Dr. Jack Cruz says over and over again. You want as many free electrons as possible, day in and day out. And you want to limit the amount of protons. And we'll explain this a little more in a bit. But that's just a good thing to think about. You can get electrons from the sun, from grounding, from electron-rich water. And this goes for consuming, but it also goes for your mitochondria. 
you want your mitochondria to be as efficient at processing electrons as possible. And we'll get into that as well. But kind of piggybacking off of what Dr. Doug Wallace said regarding energy, Jack Cruz also understands that a lack of energy leads to poor protein folding. And proteins are all over our body, just like the mitochondria, constantly growing, breaking down, degradation. So we need proteins and we need healthy protein folding because if you have misfolded proteins, again, that's where you start to see anomalies in your health and otherwise. So our outer mitochondrial membrane is connected to the endoplasmic reticulum, and that's an organelle that controls protein folding. So that's no coincidence that our mitochondria and the endoplasmic reticulum are intimately connected. Energy status, protein folding. So the first two folds during protein folding are determined by your DNA code, and they're not the most important. Again, the nuclear DNA is great. We need it, but those aren't the most important folds. The physiological effects come from the third and the fourth fold, known as the tertiary and quaternary fold. And those are determined by, again, the energy status of your mitochondria. Too many dysfunctional mitochondria or too many mitochondria not producing enough energy, you're going to see negative consequences on those third and fourth folds. And again, the more misfolded proteins you have, that's bad news bears. So not only are the mitochondria and endoplasmic reticulum tied to protein folding, but they're intimately tied to redox potential. And redox potential is essentially how much net negative charge is in the cell to do physiological work. So you want a high net negative charge. A high net negative charge means you have a very good redox potential. So getting into the story of electrons and protons, inflammation is a positive charge. It has protons. And if we think about pH on the lower end, you know, one, two, three, four, that's acidic, that's low pH. So high inflammation, lots of protons means you are low pH. Higher pH means you're more basic, means that you're less protons, more electrons. So if you have a higher pH, then as a system, your body has less inflammation. And also in regards to EZ water, which we'll get to with Dr. Gerald Pollack, but a low pH means low EZ water. And you want as much EZ water in your body as possible because EZ water is electron rich. So again, to break it down, you want a high redox potential, which means net negative charge. Inflammation is a positive charge protons. So a high inflammatory system is low pH. Whereas if you have a high redox potential, that means you have a, a very high net negative charge. And that means you have low inflammation, high pH, fewer protons, and much more electrons. And that's what you want to attain because that is going to lead to less inflammation in your body, more productive mitochondria and cells, and just physiology as a whole. So when sunlight hits water, again, to repeat what I started with, with Dr. Jack Cruz, it makes a huge capacitor and the capacitor is what stores energy. So if we're not outside, if we're not getting full spectrum sunlight, we're not allowing that red and near infrared to excite the water in our bodies. And again, the water surrounds our mitochondria. So if we're not exciting the water around our mitochondria, then that means that water is not going to be electron rich. It's going to make our mitochondria less efficient. 
Again, low energy status, as Dr. Doug Wallace said, means more chance for disease and cancer and mitochondrial dysfunction, which means aging. So the more light energy that you can turn into an electric current, the more energy a mitochondria fundamentally has. The more energy you have present in a cell, the less disease state you have. And so breaking down a little further now with the mitochondria, so we know the mitochondria produces ATP, but it also produces water. And in order for the mitochondria to produce ATP, you need electrons to tunnel through it, something called the electron transport chain. And there's five respiratory proteins from the beginning to the end. So you have respiratory protein one, two, three, four, five. And anything that stretches that respiratory protein chain, meaning the distance from one to two is increased, two to three is increased, three to four is increased, and so on. Anything that stretches the respiratory protein ruins energy production in a mitochondria. And that's because the entire purpose of these respiratory proteins is to be electron chain tunnelers, which means tunneling of electrons is going to be much more efficient if these respiratory proteins are closer together than if they're stretched apart. And so this is important because we need to do things that A, bring our respiratory proteins closer together, and B, we don't do things that have the potential to stretch those respiratory proteins or uh, spread those proteins further away from each other. Because again, the closer they are together, the more efficient we're going to be at electron tunneling, which means more effective and efficient ATP production and water production for the mitochondria. So things that could stretch those respiratory protein chains is blue light. So think about cell phones, computer screens, TV screens, tablets, fluorescent lights. Those are purely blue lit devices that our biology didn't grow up with, or there was no evolutionary process for being exposed to explicitly blue light. The blue light that we're used to being exposed to comes from full spectrum sunlight. So there is blue light in the sun, but it's balanced by the red light. However, the screens, our cell phones, tablets, it's purely blue light. It's not being balanced by any red light. And of course, we're typically using most of the blue light at night, which totally ruins your circadian rhythm because blue light increases your cortisol level, which is the hormone that is released for arousal. So when the sun comes up in the morning and it hits your eye, it inhibits melatonin and it increases cortisol. But a lot of us are using these devices at night, the sun is down and we're exposing ourselves to this blue light technology. So not only is it ruining our circadian rhythm by inhibiting melatonin, increasing cortisol. But now we also know it's stretching our respiratory proteins in the mitochondria, making us less efficient at tunneling electrons, which makes us or the mitochondria less productive at producing energy and water. So along the same lines as blue light, non-native EMF radiation. So Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and of course, this lovely new integration of 5G. It's terrible for our cells. It's terrible for our cells because it's terrible for our mitochondria, which there's thousands in every single cell in our body, except red blood cells. So blue light, non-native EMF, when we expose ourselves to these constantly, we're going to be in chronic toxicity and that's going to stretch the respiratory proteins. So it's important to understand not only do the mitochondria produce ATP, but I've mentioned a couple of times, 
they also produce water. And why is this important that the mitochondria produces water? Well, we all know that if we stick a soda can or a can of beer in the freezer, what's it going to do? It's going to expand. So we know that liquid expands when it's cold or frozen. But what does liquid do when you heat it? It does the complete opposite. It shrinks. And why is this concept important? Because if the mitochondria is producing water and it's surrounding the respiratory proteins with water, then that means when the mitochondria releases infrared heat, it is able to actually shrink that water it's produced to bring the respiratory proteins closer together. So it's no coincidence that, again, the mitochondria releases infrared heat, and it's no coincidence that it produces water. It produces water to enable itself to shrink the respiratory proteins when it releases infrared heat. This is why cryotherapy is so popular and it works because when you expose yourself to cold, cold, cold temperatures, especially cold water, you have to shiver, you have to produce heat. And that heat is coming from the infrared and the mitochondria. So when you're doing cryotherapy, you're actually helping shrink those respiratory proteins because you're producing more heat. On the flip side, when you're dehydrated, when you're lacking water, when you're out in the sun too long and you're getting heated and your body's trying to cool yourself down so the mitochondria aren't producing infrared heat, this is when the respiratory proteins can stretch. You also get dehydrated, not just in the sense of not consuming electron-rich water, but if you're excessively exposing yourself to EMFs, to 5G, to Bluetooth and such. And this is why living in a big city with a high density of people is unhealthy because on average, people have five to seven devices that can hook up some way to Wi-Fi, the cell towers, they can hook up to 5G. So if you have all these people, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that are all walking around in a very condensed area, then you, just by the nature of being around that, are exposing your body, your cells, and your mitochondria to all of this non-native EMF, which does make your body chronically toxic, stretches your respiratory proteins, and makes you less efficient at tunneling electrons, and thus your mitochondria don't produce enough ATP or water. And another big thing that Dr. Jack Cruz talks about a lot is the whole idea of food versus mitochondria. Because in this day and age, it seems like there's a new fad diet you know, every other month, or there's, there's a book coming out every day with a new diet. But if all these diets worked, then why are there so many new books coming out? Why are there so many new diets coming out? And that's because, as Dr. Jack Cruz puts it, we need to be treating our engine versus concerning ourselves with the fuel. So for example, if you had a Ferrari with a broken engine, it doesn't matter if you put in premium fuel versus regular, it's not going to run any better because the engine is broken. So like our bodies, the mitochondria is our engine. It doesn't matter if you eat the keto diet or a paleo diet or a Western A price or, or vegan or what have you. It doesn't matter if your engine's broken, it doesn't matter if your mitochondria are dysfunctional. You need to take care of the engine first before concerning yourselves with the fuel. We are focusing on the wrong thing by focusing on food. That's what Dr. Jack Cruz has said over and over again. So if you're a mitochondriac like he is, everything you do 
is built around building a strong redox potential by maximizing energy flow in the mitochondria. Again, redox potential is net negative charge. So everything you do, all of your daily habits, they should be structured around building a strong redox potential by maximizing energy flow in the mitochondria. And again, for Dr. Jack Cruz, that is optimizing your light, optimizing your water, and optimizing your magnetism. Because those three things, when you build those foundations strong, you're going to have a strong and robust redox potential. And one way to think about it, especially when it comes to light, is that our bodies are capable of some form of photosynthesis. So whereas a plant takes CO2 and water and turns it into glucose, our mitochondria actually reverses the process and makes CO2 and water out of glucose. So anytime that you're dehydrated, it's a sign that you are in an environment that is lowering your energy potential. Just like we talked about a few minutes ago, if you're in a big city or if you work, let's say, um, with x-rays and radiation or in an airport where you're constantly surrounded by radiation, that's an environment where you are dehydrating your body. You're dehydrating your mitochondria. You're lowering your energy potential. You're lowering your redox potential. Mitochondria produce water so that the water can go around the respiratory proteins and then use infrared light to shrink the distance more efficiently to tunnel those electrons to produce more energy and more water that will then go. Again, that water will go around the respiratory proteins. But if you're dehydrated, your mitochondria will not be able to produce that water and it will end the cycle of efficient energy production. So on that note of water, that's a good segue into our last expert of the podcast, Dr. Gerald Pollack, again, University of Washington researcher, all about water, especially what's called EZ water or exclusion zone water. And it's called exclusion zone water or EZ water because it excludes protons. So if it excludes protons, that's good because it's not going to lower your pH, which would then be inflammatory. It's a uh, hydrogen rich, it's electron rich. And so energy required for building the easy and separating charge comes principally from radiant sources. So UV light is the least effective at building easy water, whereas visible light is more effective. So uh, let's say blue light, yellow light, orange light, green light. And red light is more effective at producing easy water than UV light, but infrared light is the most effective. And again, it's no coincidence that over 50% of the light that hits the earth is infrared. So when you're outside getting full spectrum sunlight, it's mostly infrared. And when you're exposing yourself to sunlight with the infrared light, you're expanding your exclusion zone. You're increasing your electrons, you're decreasing your protons, you're increasing your redox potential, as Dr. Jack Cruz would say. So longer exposures and higher intensities can expand easy more. So whether that means you're outside in the sun, again, you don't want to be getting longer exposures if you're getting sunburns. That's not the point. You need to build up your solar callus, as Dr. Jack Cruz would put it. You need to build up your tolerance to sunlight. So most of us are weekend warriors where we're only going out and getting sun on the weekends, but we're in the office Monday through Friday. So it's very easy to get 
sunburns when your skin is not used to being exposed to light. But if you expose your body to sunlight every single day consistently, you will get to a point where you can be on the sun as long as you want and not get a sunburn. And if you're able to do that, that means your body is constantly exposed to infrared light. You're building up your EZ, you're decreasing inflammation, you're improving your redox potential, you're increasing the amount of electrons in your body, and so on and so forth. Back to Dr. Gerald Pollack, if we want to expand our EZ as much as possible, you want longer exposures and or higher intensities. And this goes for increasing the EZ in your water. If you want electron-rich water, structured water, you can put your glass outside. And again, the longer and the higher the intensity of the infrared light, the more you're going to expand the EZ. And you can do this with a red light therapy device as well. And you'd want to turn it on to infrared light, get the light as close to the water as possible without it, you know, exposing it to EMFs. And then you would leave it on as long as possible before drinking it. And that will allow the water to have as much easy exclusion zone as possible. Easy water bears a net negative charge, which would be improving redox potential, according to Dr. Jack Cruz. So easy water bears net negative charge, while bulk water, which is like tap water, bulk water zones contain net positive charge. So bulk water actually has more protons in it. It's a net positive charge, which is not what we want. We want net negative because that's a robust redox potential, which means more electrons, less protons. So if at all possible, you want to be drinking as much electron-rich water, as much easy water, as much structured water as possible, because that's going to give you more net negative charge every time you drink it. And so that kind of ties together really what Dr. Jack Cruz was espousing as far as trying to accrue as many free electrons as possible day to day. And you can do that with light by getting full spectrum sunlight. Again, your skin has to be exposed. So you can do that if you, if you don't get outside every day. That's why red light therapy can be so powerful. Because if you're not getting outside consistently, then your body's deficient in red and near infrared light. And that's the only reason why red light therapy technology even needs to be around. It's because the majority of us are deficient in red and near infrared light, which is what the mitochondria needs to produce energy. Those photons of energy from the red and the near infrared light excites the cytochrome C oxidase and starts the process for electrons going through the mitochondrial electron transport chain. The more healthy, the more robust our body is, the closer those respiratory proteins are going to be the more efficient you will be at tunneling electrons, which means more efficient and effective ATP and water production. And the cycle goes round and round and round. So it all comes down to what are you exposing your body to on a daily basis? And what are you doing on a daily basis? So there's the sunlight. For magnetism, there's grounding. That's free electrons, negative ions from the earth going through directly to your body. You have to be barefoot. And then there is the water, just like we talked about with Dr. Gerald Pollack. There's ways to add electrons to your water through infrared light exposure. You can also do this with hydrogen-rich water, high antioxidant, high anti-inflammatory. So we'll end there today. And I hope that gives you a much better appreciation for the mitochondria and why they're so important when it comes to red light therapy and just overall health, wellness, and longevity. And 
It also really pays to know that because now when we start talking about other things in future podcasts like hair health, skin health, heart health, brain health, and we refer back to the mitochondria, you're going to know why and how those pieces play a part together as far as the mitochondria being such a vital player in red light therapy and your overall health, wellness, and longevity. So this is part one of the two part for mitochondrial health and the mitochondria in general. But the best thing you can do today is figure out how you can optimize your light, whether that's getting outside, whether that's using red light therapy. You need to figure out how you can optimize your magnetism, both by getting away from non-native EMFs as much as possible and do some barefoot walking on a consistent basis. It only needs to be 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day. And then figuring out how to optimize your water consuming structured water, consuming hydrogen-rich water, consuming easy water. And you can do that for free simply by putting your glass in front of the sunlight. You can utilize your red light therapy device on infrared light mode. So to become a mitochondriac, a lot of it's free. And one other thing you can do, and I've mentioned this on multiple podcasts, but if you want free red light therapy for your eyes and for your body, you can watch the sunrise in the morning and the sunset in the evening, especially when the sun is just coming over the horizon, you can look directly at the sun because that is mostly red and infrared light. It will not damage your eyes and it's actually extremely healthy. But that's also a very good way to normalize your circadian rhythm. And with normalized circadian rhythm, that's going to allow the rest of your biology and your physiology to operate on an optimal level. So we'll end there today, guys. I really hope that was useful. Hopefully not too confusing, but again, if there was a little too detailed or a little too sciencey, then please re-listen to those sections that were confusing or just re-listen to the podcast because this is really valuable information as we go forward with this podcast. So you guys have a wonderful week. Enjoy the weekend and we will see you for part two on the next episode. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed that first part about the mitochondria. Pretty fascinating stuff. I hope it didn't get too sciencey, but but again, that's where the rubber meets the road. And so I think it's important for people to at least have a have a general understanding of what's going on deep inside their cells, inside of the mitochondria. Really, that's the exciting part because again, that's how you know literally how red light therapy is working and why it's so impactful. Uh, but anyways, I, I digress or else I'll keep on talking. But uh, now we'll move on to part two of this two-part solo-sode series from a year ago. And the second part is going to be more general information, not specifically about people, but more general information about the mitochondria. So we'll dig into what the mitochondria are. We'll we'll get into the mitochondrial theory of aging, which as you can imagine from the from the name, is a theory explaining how the mitochondria literally dictate the pace at which we age in our more or less our biological clock. And then we'll move on to learning about the electron transport chain, which we talked about in that first part. We'll continue with learning more general information about why the electrons are important and what goes on inside the electron transport chain. And we'll also learn about apoptosis and why that's 
such an important role, not just for cells, but for mitochondria as well, because we don't want cells or mitochondria that are decaying or no longer properly functioning to just be sitting around and lurking in the corners as like zombie cells or zombie mitochondria. You want those to be properly eaten up, recycled, and reused for new cells and new mitochondria, because those zombies over time can lead to uh, malfunctioning, inflammatory conditions. And then lastly, we'll go into some unique ways that you can help optimize your mitochondrial health outside of red light therapy. So once again, sit back, learn lots, enjoy your day, and as always, light up your health. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Red Light Report. So in the previous episode, Mitochondria Part 1, we heard from three of the top experts in their fields, and as it relates to mitochondria, we heard from Dr. Doug Wallace, Dr. Jack Cruz, and Dr. Gerald Pollock. And we dug a little bit into the science of the mitochondria, how it works, why it's imperative that you optimize the health, wellness, efficiency, effectiveness of your mitochondria, because, as Dr. Doug Wallace said, about 80% of modern diseases are related to mitochondrial dysfunction. So, going forward in this episode, we're going to learn a little more about the mitochondria, how they work, the fundamentals of the life of a mitochondria, the electron transport chain, we'll get a little more into that, and we'll learn about how they regenerate themselves, how they kill themselves off for the betterment of the entire system, and really, at the end, we'll have a quick way that you can best optimize your mitochondria. And it's not red light therapy. So without further ado, let's get the ball rolling. Just for a quick review on mitochondria, we know that the mitochondria have evolved to be the powerhouses or the energy factories of the cell. They are the organelles that act like a cellular digestive system that takes the nutrients, breaks them down, and creates the energy for the cell, known as ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And the process of creating this cellular energy is known as cellular respiration. And most of the chemical reactions involved in cellular respiration happen in the mitochondria. And so the mitochondria are very small organelles. We know that there's hundreds to several thousands of mitochondria per cell. And the number of mitochondria per cell depends on how much energy that cell utilizes. For example, there are large numbers and quantity of mitochondria found in the heart and skeletal muscle. And that's because they require a lot of energy for the mechanical work, pumping of the heart and contraction of the muscles. Also in most organs, such as the pancreas with its biosynthesis of insulin and the liver where detoxification takes place. And of course in the brain where there's a tremendous amount of oxygen and energy required to utilize the brain and of course nerve cells as well to conduct electrical pulses. So metabolically active cells, such as those in the heart, muscles, brain, and so on, have thousands and thousands of mitochondria. They're very mitochondrial dense. And the egg cell, the oocyte, has a whopping 100,000 mitochondria. By far the most mitochondrial dense tissue or cell that we have in our biology. It's the egg cell. And in contrast, interestingly, the sperm cell usually has fewer than 100 mitochondria. So that's kind of where 
as Dr. Doug Wallace told us in the last episode, we can track our really mitochondrial health and what we inherit directly from our moms maternally. And so there we go. The egg has 100,000 mitochondria. The sperm has less than 100. So that makes sense. Red blood cells and skin cells have very, very few, if any at all. But by weight, a person's body weight is up to 10% made up of mitochondria. If you weigh 150 pounds, about 15 pounds of that weight is mitochondria. In actual numbers, there's about 10 million billion mitochondria in your body. 10 million billion. 10% of your weight makes sense after hearing that number. <laughs> and so now we're starting to realize why the mitochondria plays such a vital role. Not only what, what it does, but the quantity that resides in each and one of our bodies means that if it's functioning, functioning optimally, things are probably going to be going pretty well for your health. And on the flip side, if you have too many dysfunctional mitochondria, then things probably aren't going so well. You may be sick. You may be dealing with different illnesses, diseases, and that comes back to the mitochondria, at least up to 80% of modern diseases. So breathing, just the act of breathing, supplies the blood with oxygen, which in turn gets transported to just about every one of the trillion cells in the body. The cell delivers this oxygen to the mitochondria, where it is then used to in turn uses the glucose, fatty acids, and even sometimes amino acids or protein into energy via cellular respiration, more specifically aerobic respiration because it's utilizing oxygen. So although it's hard to believe, gram for gram, we are likely the most powerful energy producers in the universe. Pretty darn crazy. And kind of alluding back to what Dr. Jack Cruz and Doug Wallace told us, when you have a low amount of energy, you're going to be sick, you're going to be ill, you're more likely to get diseases. So along those lines, any form of life that cannot generate its own energy is essentially dead. There is no life without energy, specifically electrons. So if we look at different theories of aging, there's been many that have gone through their own evolution, if you will, such as the wear and tear theory, where as you get older, things break down and that's just the way it is. But if that's the case, then people who work out and exercise and athletes, they kind of break that notion because they seem to be healthier even when they get older, provided you're not overtraining. There was a telomere theory where the shortening of the telomeres is kind of a marker of are aging and longevity. There's a free radical theory, which means the more free radicals you produce, uh, the increasing likelihood that you will get sick or shorten your lifespan or just have a lower quality of life. All of those have been debunked in some way, but each have also built on to each other, leading to the mitochondrial theory of aging, which is the most current theory of aging. And it argues that aging and the many diseases that come with it is caused by a slow degeneration in the quality of mitochondria. And this is because during normal cellular respiration, free radicals are created. So these free radicals, they go on to inflict damage to 
nearby structures, including the DNA in both the mitochondria and the nucleus. And so the free radicals attack the DNA in each of our cells tens of thousands of times daily. So this isn't like all of a sudden they start attacking you and you start getting sick. No, this is happening frequently on a daily basis. And much of the resulting damage is kind of fixed silently in the background by extensive repair machinery within the cells. But sometimes these attacks can cause irreversible damage. And that's where we see permanent mutations in the DNA. And that's where we start to see real health issues. Once the damage reaches a threshold, the cell dies. And slowly over time, tissues start to degenerate with each dying cell. So this steady erosion is really what's responsible for many age-related degenerative diseases and even with the aging process itself. So the mitochondrial theory of aging also explains why we don't see this spiraling, catastrophic damage that's predicted by the free radical theory or the other original you know, mitochondrial theories that came before. Because free radicals are used to signal danger, which then allows the cell to adapt. So just like inflammation, free radicals are a signal to cells and to our biology. We need those. We need those signals. Otherwise, our body could not adapt and we would not be nearly as resilient as we are. We need inflammation. When you have pain, you need to know pain is there. You twist your ankle, you shouldn't be walking on it with full force because if you do, you're going to do more damage than if you don't. So just like free radicals, we need those free radicals to send signals to our body to induce certain biological or physiological processes. If we didn't have those signals, those processes would not be carried out and our health would decline much more rapidly, ultimately to our impending um, doom, if you will. Also, the mitochondrial theory of aging also explains why the cell doesn't have more antioxidants than it needs. If there were too many, it wouldn't be sensitive to the changes in the redox state. So that's why, while you could argue a lot of us are deficient in antioxidants, whether it's through diet or general lifestyle, environmental, that consuming like too many antioxidant supplements, and of course wine is touted as you know having high antioxidants with the resveratrol, but you don't want to overconsume antioxidants. Because again, once you have too many antioxidants, you're getting rid of those free radicals, which you actually need for signaling. So just like I said a couple minutes ago, you do want some free radicals for those signaling properties, and you don't want to overconsume antioxidants to really get rid of those signals. If we had too many antioxidants, then we wouldn't be sensitive to the changes in the redox state. Without free radicals, the whole system would fail, and the mitochondria would fail to adapt to their changing environment, and thus their changing demands. So this would lead to a high rate of mutations, thus a high rate of mitochondrial dysfunction if we had more antioxidants than we needed, and this would cause the inevitable demise, and we would run out of energy and electrons. So free radicals are not as bad as they're made out to be. In fact, clearly, just like inflammation, they're very necessary. So after numerous decades of constantly adapting to a new equilibrium, cells eventually run out of healthy and normal mitochondria. And that's what we would call aging. 
As the decades go by, our cells deteriorate, we get more and more dysfunctional mitochondria. And when we run out of healthy mitochondria, that's where we start seeing aging, that's where we start seeing diseases and a lower quality of life. After this happens, when the cell signals mitochondria to replicate, there is no choice but to replicate and amplify the defective mitochondria. Because as we age, the ratio of healthy to defective mitochondria gets lower. And instead of being able to replicate those healthy mitochondria, now our body has no choice but to replicate the defective or dysfunctional mitochondria. So ultimately, cells are overtaken by these dysfunctional mitochondria. Interestingly, if we examined a dysfunctional organ or tissue, we wouldn't actually see an abundance of cells with defective mitochondria. We would only see a few affected cells at any given time. When cells finally get to the point where they're packed full of defective mitochondria, they are given a signal to remove themselves from the community by something called apoptosis. While this fact means we don't find high levels of dysfunctional or defective mitochondria in aging tissues, it does result in the slow but steady loss of tissue density and function, such as osteoporosis with bone or sarcopenia with muscle. So really, it's this apoptosis where we're continuing to lose more and more cells that this is the prerequisite for aging, disease, and ultimately death. And we still don't know exactly what the signal for apoptosis is, but two related factors are probably involved. One is the percentage of dysfunctional mitochondria, and then secondly, the total ATP or energy level in the cell relative to its demand. As a cell gets the signal for apoptosis, what happens to the tissue and eventually the whole organ is dependent on the type of cell it's composed of. If it's a type of cell that is regularly replaced by stem cells that have preserved its mitochondria in an untarnished state, then there won't be any negative side effect. But if it's a type of cell that's typically irreplaceable, such as the nerve cell, then with each cell death, the tissue starts to atrophy and the remaining cells are under even greater pressure to meet the functional demands of the organ. So as the surviving cells get pushed closer to their own metabolic threshold, they are more likely to be negatively affected by the countless number of external factors that place additional strain on them. So as we age, the process accelerates as fewer and fewer cells are left to do the work of many. So really, it's like a drop in the bucket. Every drop you take out puts a higher and higher demand on the water that's left in the bucket. And we keep pulling you know, little drops of water out of that bucket as we get more and more dysfunctional mitochondria, again, which puts more and more demand on the remaining cells and tissues. And it kind of gets exponential as we age if we do not fix the issue. So remember, this explains why we don't see mitochondrial mutations spiraling out of control. Because defective mitochondria and the cells that contain them are constantly eliminated, again, by apoptosis. However, the number of functional cells in any particular organ will decrease, which is known as atrophy. You don't exercise your muscle, you're going to get atrophy muscle. You don't continuously do cognitive tasks, your brain will atrophy. So this is how degenerative diseases take hold. For example, as the quality of beta cells in the pancreas decreases, insulin levels fall off. As a heart loses its muscle cells, its contraction becomes less efficient. As the neurons in the brain start to die off, 
dementia sets in. So in each case, there is a threshold. Losing a few cells in the heart is unlikely to result in heart failure, but you lose enough of those heart cells and the function of the heart will be compromised. Hey there, guys. So I know you're excited to learn about red light therapy, but I'm betting that you're also interested in finding a high-quality red light therapy device. Well, look no further than my company, BioLight. But don't take my word for it. Listen to the thousands of customers that have come before you and have chosen BioLite because of its unprecedented combination of high light power, low EMF emission, and low light flicker. So you're not only getting the most effective treatment option, but the safest as well. And there's many sizes to choose from. There's handheld devices, tabletop models, and even full body panels. So there's definitely a size to match your lifestyle and health and wellness goals. As an added bonus, you can claim a $100 value gift at checkout when you use coupon code REDLIGHTPODCAST. Just go to www.biolight.shop, choose whichever device is going to match your health and wellness needs, and use coupon code REDLIGHTPODCAST to claim your $100 gift. Again, that's www.biolight.shop. So let's move on to everyone's favorite topic the electron transport chain. We learned a little bit about it last time, mostly from Dr. Jack Cruz and why it's important to keep your respiratory proteins in the electron transport chain as close together so that we could tunnel electrons as efficiently as possible. So it's critical to understand that the passage of electrons down this chain is not always 100% efficient. And just like we learned last episode, a small percentage of electrons are fumbled in this molecular game of hot potato, and these leak into the matrix. And the rogue electrons then prematurely react with oxygen, resulting in the formation of superoxide, which is a potentially dangerous free radical. And free radicals are highly reactive molecules that contribute to this quote-unquote oxidative stress. And this process has been implicated in a number of diseases and even aging itself. In fact, those familiar with the concept of free radicals might be interested to know that the electron transport chain is the main site for endogenous free radical production, meaning the free radicals produced within our body, as opposed to the ones uh, generated from other sources like environmental pollutants. So we know the primary cause of mitochondrial damage is the free radicals generated by the mitochondria themselves. So just like we learned in last episode that mitochondria are pretty magical in the sense that not only do they produce energy, but they produce water, which goes around the respiratory proteins, which then when they release infrared light and heat, they shrink that water, which brings the respiratory proteins closer together, making electron tunneling more efficient. Well, when the opposite happens and the respiratory proteins get spread out, whether it's through, let's say, being dehydrated or surrounded by too many non-native EMFs, and then we start to stretch those respiratory proteins so the distance is greater, then we start to see loss of electrons through the electron transport chain, which get oxidized and then produce free radicals. So while when operating correctly, it's pretty darn magical, but when they're dysfunctional and they're not operating properly and the electron transport chain is stretched, then they actually harm themselves because they produce the highest amount of endogenous free radicals. So, this all really depends, the free radical damage, it all really depends on the availability of both fuel and oxygen. For example, let's consider a person in a developing country during a period of famine. 
This person has a shortage of fuel, and therefore, hardly any electrons flowing down the electron transport chain. All the food we consume gives us electrons that are stripped down the electron transport chain eventually develop that, produce that ATP in oxygen, or ATP in water. So if you're not consuming a lot of food, then you're not going to have as many electrons going down the electron transport chain. And in this instance, even though there might be plenty of oxygen available to this person, there are going to be very few free radicals leaking because there's a lack of electrons. Then let's consider, on the flip side, a well-fed elite athlete in training. And this person's muscle cells have plenty of fuel, but also a high demand for energy. So electrons flow smoothly down the electron transport chain to oxygen, and relatively few free radicals leak because the ATP is constantly being used up because they're just constantly in movement, contracting those muscles. However, if we consider a well-fed sedentary person, well, in this case, the mitochondria have plenty of fuel because they're eating a lot, but the cells aren't using the ATP that are being generated because they're just sitting on a couch, a couch potato, if you will. So the ATP levels remain high with little turnover. And with this low demand for ATP, because you're just sitting, you're not utilizing energy, the electron transport chains become backed up with excessive electrons. So this is an important point to remember. When you have a lot of energy, but you're not using it, the electron transport chains become backed up with excessive electrons. So there is still plenty of oxygen, as well as an abundance of highly reactive uh, electrons, so there is a high rate of free radical leakage. This burst of free radicals will exceed the built-in antioxidant defensive system in our body and oxidize the lipids in the mitochondrial membranes. It's at this point the electron flow down the electron transport chain is completely stopped. And so the upstream sections of the electron transport chain become full of electrons. And it's these electrons that continue to leak and form more free radicals. Once the stress crosses a threshold, pores in the outer mitochondrial membrane open up and initiate the first steps of cellular suicide. So by consuming too much food and being relatively inactive, you're going to destroy your electron transport chain. There's going to be excessive electrons excessive electron leakage, high amount of free radicals, and then at some point the electron flow down the electron transport chain will completely stop. And when that cell or that mitochondria is not producing energy, then that's setting up the stage for cellular suicide or apoptosis. So really, if you eat a lot and you don't utilize that energy, you're actually destroying your mitochondria, you're actually destroying your cells. So it's no coincidence that this type of a person likely is going to have metabolic syndrome of some type. They're going to have diabetes. They're going to have metabolic syndrome. They're going to have high cholesterol. They might have high blood pressure and obesity, of course, overweight. And that all comes down to not utilizing the electrons that you're stuffing down your maw, if you will. You eat too much. You don't move enough. This is what happens. It literally comes down to the mitochondria and the cells and the electron transport chain. So if we could just slow down the rate of free radical leakage from the mitochondria even further, we could significantly delay the onset of degenerative diseases 
or perhaps even eliminate them altogether. At this point in time, as far as the research in the mitochondrial world, improving mitochondrial function and slowing their decay appear to be the most promising and realistic way to address both degenerative diseases and aging. Again, it comes down to slowing the rate of free radical leakage. Regarding mitochondria, after you know energy production, producing ATP, the next most critical uh, function of the mitochondria is regulating death, the death of the cell, the death of a mitochondria. They are forced to commit cellular suicide, or apoptosis, like we mentioned above. If the mechanisms regulating apoptosis fail, the one serious consequence is cancer, which is why apoptosis is critical for the integrity and organization of multicellular organisms. Again, this process is controlled by the mitochondria. If you have dysfunctional mitochondria, then your apoptosis won't be regulated like it should, and ultimately, the downstream effect is cancer. If the overall picture painted by the various signals indicates that the cell is no longer functioning properly or within the confines of the greater good, meaning the the entire cell or the entire organ or the entire body, then the mitochondria initiates the cellular suicide program. And the mitochondria that die through apoptosis will be broken down in an orderly mitochondrial version of apoptosis called mitophagy. So just like there's autophagy, which is cellular cleanup, there is mitophagy, which is essentially mitochondrial cleanup. And as they're broken down, their components will be recycled but ultimately, the most damaged and dysfunctional mitochondria are continuously eradicated from the population. In this fashion, most cells can theoretically extend their life almost indefinitely by persistently correcting the deficit. So as long as your apoptosis is in order and the dysfunctional, the defective mitochondria are being put into the cellular suicide program, apoptosis, then the health of your cell could remain or persist almost indefinitely. And if you have healthier and healthier cells, you're going to have healthier and healthier organs, healthier systems, healthier body. So again, it comes down to not allowing your mitochondria to become dysfunctional or too many of them to become dysfunctional so that the apoptosis program does not operate correctly. Only the least damaged mitochondria tend to replicate. So there's usually no obvious sign of mitochondrial mutations or damage. However, as we age, the cells rely more and more on defective mitochondria. So just like we spoke about uh, previously, that's kind of a hallmark of aging. As you get older, as you accumulate more and more dysfunctional mitochondria, and you're not able to utilize the apoptosis or cell death program, your body has to rely more and more on these dysfunctional, on these defective mitochondria versus replicating mostly healthy mitochondria. So needless to say, you would be wise to appreciate and take care of your mitochondria. And there are a number of methods, but improving and clearing and recycling of senescent cells is one of the top ways to take care of your mitochondria. And for those who aren't familiar with the term senescence or senescent cells. Well, in technical terms, senescence is the condition or process of deterioration with age. On a cellular level, it is a state whereby a perfectly functioning cell is found to have DNA damage. In response, 
places itself in a pseudo shutdown mode until the problem can be sorted out. So cellular senescence is an irreversible cell cycle arrest mechanism that acts to protect against cancer by limiting the proliferation of old or damaged cells, just like we've been talking about. So basically, cellular senescence is a permanent state of sleep a cell goes into. And while this state is good for preventing ailments like cancer, it is also associated with a release of inflammatory products like cytokines and chemokines and higher energy consumption, pulling away energy from your healthy cells. So this production of pro-inflammatory cytokines and chemokines happens irrespective of the senescence-inducing stressor or mechanism. So cultured cells usually reach senescence within several weeks after exposure to senescence-inducing stressors, but remain viable for months after that. So that means that these senescent cells are kind of like zombies, and they'll float around releasing inflammation, and they're virtually sucking the life out of your body by deferring vital energy that would normally be directed toward healthy cells. So they're zombies in the literal sense. So how can we prevent the buildup of senescent cells? Well, fasting is one such method for accomplishing this and has been proven to have profound positive effects on overall health, vitality, and longevity. A lot of benefits from fasting come from enhanced cellular autophagy. And autophagy, kind of like mitophagy, is the body's way of cleaning up and cleaning out damaged cells in order to regenerate newer, healthier cells. And so an extended fast, such as a three to five day water fast, will amplify the autophagy-inducing effects and more efficiently clear senescent cells and activate mitophagy. But this type of fast, three to five days, should only be done by experienced individuals. You shouldn't just go from eating three meals a day to trying to water a three to five day water fast. You really need to work your way up to that. And so two individuals who are very well known in the fasting world are Dr. Jason Fung and Dr. Daniel Pompa. So I'd highly recommend that if you're interested in fasting, how to utilize fasting protocols, how to integrate intermittent fasting into your daily life or just your health regimen, I'd highly recommend looking into Dr. Jason Fung and Dr. Dan Pompa. And again, the whole point of fasting in this sense is that you, again, enhance autophagy, which is going to enhance mitophagy, which means you're going to get rid of those zombie cells, those senescent cells, and you're going to decrease the amount of dysfunctional mitochondria per cell in the hopes that instead of replicating dysfunctional mitochondria, you will be replicating healthy, effective, functional mitochondria. So to wrap up here, let's think back to the example I used earlier where there's a person in a, in a developing country during a period of famine who experiences a shortage of fuel and therefore has hardly any electrons flowing down the electron transport chain. So even though there might be plenty of oxygen available, very few free radicals leak simply because of the lack of electrons. However, in famine, of course, there's also malnutrition. And caloric restriction differs from famine because a person might significantly lower the calories they consume, but they ensure that all the foods they do consume are nutrient-dense. So the result is that very few free radicals leak due to a reduced amount of electrons. So this concept helps explain the opposite, where excessive 
caloric intake introduces an excessive amount of fuel into the body and ultimately excessive electrons into the mitochondrial electron transport chains. An overabundance of electrons causes leakage at a very high rate, which might be why obesity is linked to countless degenerative diseases. Because again, we're getting those excessive electrons leaking out of the electron transport chain, and thus free radical production, excessive free radical production. Although an increase in the maximum life lifespan potential hasn't yet been achieved for humans, Based on what I've just discussed, there's a great deal of hope that it will happen soon. Because if indeed the mitochondria are the crux of aging, the fact that the best mitochondria with the best mitochondrial DNA are used as templates for the generation of more mitochondria, that the cell is better at repairing damage to the mitochondria DNA than previously thought, and that defective mitochondria are constantly eliminated, at least theoretically, the cell should be able to go on doing this indefinitely. Again, just to repeat that, with mitochondria being able to use its own mitochondrial DNA to replicate or use it as a template for the production of more mitochondria. So not only that, but also they're kind of self-policing and getting rid of dysfunctional, defective mitochondria, provided they have enough energy to do so. So... We'll wrap up the episode there, and I hope you found that useful information interesting. Again, I know it was a little bit deep into the science, and just like the previous episode, if some of it was kind of difficult or or tough to understand or tough to comprehend for the very first time, I highly recommend that you re-listen to the episode or the sections that you didn't understand, because again, the more you can understand about the mitochondria and the hows and the whys of how they function, and the hows and whys of why it's important to optimize your mitochondria's health, to optimize your health and longevity, then not just for red light therapy purposes, but for your everyday purposes, for fasting, food choices, grounding with the earth to get those electrons, getting the full spectrum sunlight outside to get those electrons, doing the right things to shrink your respiratory protein distance so that you don't have a leakage of electrons, so you don't produce excessive amounts of free radicals, because all of that leads to a low redox potential, which we learned from Dr. Jack Cruz means that you have more of a positive charge and a less of a, of a negative charge. And as we remember from last episode, high inflammation is lots of protons, low inflammation is high electrons. So it's no coincidence that the earth has a negative charge. So when you stand outside barefoot, you get those free electrons and you're feeding your body exactly what it needs. So I hope you learn lots and next week, look forward to an interview from a holistic dentist, Dr. Kelly Blodgett. But for today, this has been a privilege and an honor to go over this dense science with you all. And without further ado, this is Dr. Mike Belkowski signing off from the Red Light Report. Hope you guys have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, Go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolight. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.